The romance wasn't supposed to work. He was filthy rich. She was dirt poor. His dad helped put the world on wheels, while her dad was a mailboat captain. But they were in love and didn't really care what their families thought. Daniel and Lorene wanted to get married and live happily ever after, so they exchanged vows. But less than two weeks later, their romance ended in tragedy because somebody played with dynamite. I mean, really played with dynamite. I'm Roger Weber. Welcome to Mismatch, stories of the incompatible, the unsuitable, and the out of step. If you have a map handy, I prefer paper ones, but suit yourself, find the Canadian side of Lake Huron. Now, look north and you'll see the Georgian Bay and Manitoulin Island. On the north side of the island, high above the water, is a place the locals call the Dodge Lodge. It's a log home, big and beautiful. It's divided into two sections, trimmed in red and connected by a breezeway. Steps lead from a split rail fence down to the rocky shore. I see a fat orange moon emerge from the horizon and can easily imagine newlyweds enjoying the same view nearly 80 years ago. But one bad decision, well really a foolish decision, turned a honeymoon into horror. The Dodge Lodge now belongs to Bernie and Cindy Schwartzley. You'd think they'd get rid of any reminders of a tragedy, but they're trying to preserve the story of Daniel and Lorene. We tend to it, we make sure that the facility is maintained. Um, it's a labor of love, constantly working on restoring it as best as we can to how it was in 1938. I feel as though they're here to, to watch over the property while we're gone. It's just a presence. Yeah. Daniel Dodge had little or no memory of his famous father, John Dodge. After starting the Dodge Motor Company with his brother Horace, John caught pneumonia and died. His widow Matilda, along with her second husband, Alfred Wilson, built the palatial Meadowbrook Hall in suburban Detroit. 110 rooms. That's where Daniel grew up. But he felt much more at home in Canada after frequent vacations on Manitoulin Island. From everything that we've heard from the local people, Daniel was very uncomfortable with the high society of Detroit. This is not him. He was a very down-to-earth individual. And I think that's why he loved it up here so much. He blended in with the local people so easily, the local people just loved him. He was a bit of a prankster. Um, he had a water plane, and when he used to come up here with it, he would graze all the houses in a little current as he came in, so everybody knew it was him. Daniel fell in love with the island, and eventually with a local girl. He'd make phone calls in the little town of Gore Bay with the help of Loreen, the switchboard operator. She was smart, beautiful, athletic, and down to earth. No wonder Dodge began calling on her. Many years later, Loreen's son, John Van Etten, would learn how little money she had growing up. She said that probably the toughest thing was what she said, eating flour soup three days in a row. She said all we had was just flour soup. 
Flour as in F-L-O-U-R. Nothing else, no vegetables, no anything. Nobody had any money in that town. He said, she said there were 174 people in the town. That was the total population. And her, her father worked in the sawmill until he cut part of his hand off and then he, then he was a captain for the mail boat that took mail between Escanaba and Gorbay. Daniel was one of the haves. Loreen was one of the have-nots. But Daniel had to have that have-not. And mother said he wanted absolutely nothing to do with the pomp and circumstance of Detroit. You know, the dances and all the girls and things. And she, he wasn't interested. He they were kindred spirits in Kagawang, in spite of many doubters. Both families um, thought that these kids had grown up in two different environments. I mean, she was totally in the isolated area, grew up in a very hardworking, poor family, and he was just the opposite. Modern-day Detroit has struggled through the city's bankruptcy and a shriveling manufacturing base. It's a stark contrast to the time of Daniel Dodge. How many dreams can you shape in a minute, an hour? Ask the people of Dodge. In 1925, the company his father and uncle started sold for $2 billion in today's money. So Daniel's mother, Matilda Dodge Wilson, was fabulously rich. She was also a Canadian of humble origins, just like Lorreen McDonald. But she was reluctant to allow her son's girlfriend into the Dodge family. Matilda wrote, I had nothing against the girl. She simply did not impress me as the sort of woman who would be an asset to a young man destined to lead Dodge Motor Car Company. I had learned the hard way that Detroit society was not something one could waltz into without breeding, no matter how much money one had. I had groomed Daniel for great things. A marriage to Laureen offered no strategic alliances, no link to an established family, name, or fortune. On July 1st, 1938, Matilda's daughter Frances, that's Daniel's sister, married in an elaborate ceremony at Meadowbrook. One newspaper described Frances's dress this way, sculptured in endless yards of ice blue satin, as delicate and yet as arresting as the pale celestial radiance emanating from Venus. Henry Ford was among the 800 guests. Just over a month later on August 2nd, Daniel and Lorene married at Meadowbrook. Only eight people were there, even the bride's parents didn't come. Though the wedding was tiny by Dodge standards, a newspaper ran a front page headline, Switchboard Girl is Wed to Dodge. Over here is where the, uh, the exhibit for the Dodge Lodge is. Rick Nelson runs the Old Mill Heritage Center on Manitoulin Island. As far as the McDonald's side of the family, her, her side of the family, they knew what she was about to uh, get herself into. And the Dodge family wanted him to marry somebody within his own class, not a commoner from Manitoulin Island. Daniel was 21, Lorene was 20. The newlyweds headed north, honeymooning at Daniel's home and savoring the beauty and tranquility around them. And that brings us to what happened on August 15, 1938. Before we tell you what happened, our thanks to the people who make this podcast possible. Rick Nelson, who has spent years documenting the Dodge story, explains how the marriage ended 
less than two weeks after it began. They had actually just returned from a, from a boat cruise. Got on to shore um, and it was getting close to supper time, so things were being prepared for supper. Meanwhile, uh, Daniel and one of the caretakers went out to the garage and um, started to play around with some dynamite that had been left over by the previous owner. The dynamite had been buried in the woods on the Dodge property. Years earlier, workers used dynamite to clear stumps and rocks. And he wanted to find out whether this dynamite uh, would still work. So the, the whole thing happened right here. Dodge was holding a stick of dynamite. Lorraine had just walked up to the garage, and a second caretaker for the property stood with her at a window looking inside. Sticks of dynamite and caps were on the sill. And he thought he had a three-minute fuse to it, but the dynamite was old, and uh, he lit the fuse, and instead of it uh, blowing up three minutes from then, it blew up in three seconds. Lorene, in her written account, said, the fuse sputtered for a couple of seconds. The next thing I remember, I was running around the end of the cabin and I thought I was on fire. The explosion propelled heat and shrapnel directly into her face, legs, and arm. Daniel's skull was fractured, his arm mangled. The two caretakers were injured too. In shock and in pain, the group needed a fast decision on how to get help. The closest doctor in the town of Little Current was 30 miles away. Driving there would mean a slow and jolting ride over bumpy dirt roads. The other option was to go by water, and that's the road that they chose. He had a speedboat. They thought that they could make a little current within about a half an hour, 45 minutes, if they, if they went that route. Lorraine helped carry her burned and bleeding husband onto the boat. He was still conscious. She said, I couldn't get the engine started, so I turned around to my husband and asked him, what to do. He said, turn on the ignition switch and pull down the throttle. She's badly injured too, but she's the only other person who knows how to drive the boat. And it was on the worst day of the summer to be trying to do this because the weather conditions were terrible. They were dealing with four foot waves all the way. Lorene drove the boat with a tourniquet on her arm, but it went numb. One of the caretakers took over. She still helped hold the wheel. It was at that point that uh, Daniel, laying at the back of the boat, sort of semi-conscious, got up and tried to get to the front of the boat, we think, to, to help her when he uh, somehow lost his balance and he went overboard. We cut the speed of the engine, turned around, and saw my husband come to the surface. We tried to get to him, but the sea was so heavy we couldn't get close to him before he sank. They, uh, they had a decision to make. Uh, they had to save themselves, because they were all in need of medical attention, and some of them life-threatening. So they went on and uh, made their way to Little Current.
Only an hour before the explosion, Daniel told a newspaper reporter, My wife and I are happy. What more is there to be told? But now, 13 days after becoming a bride, Lorene McDonald Dodge became a widow. A Cinderella romance, uh, you know, uh, Shakespearean tragedy. A headline the next day attempted to capsulize the incredible story. Dodge drowned on honeymoon, falls from boat on way to doctor after dynamite blast maims him. It was a very big international story. You know, within 24 hours of uh, the word getting out that this is, that uh, the heir to the Dodge Motor Company fortune had been lost, uh, there were reporters flying in from all over North America. It was a zoo. Did Lorene ever talk to, to reporters about this? A reporter from the Toronto Star snuck into her hospital room posing as a representative of the coroner's office uh, asking to get information about the tragedy. And so she gave a whole account of what had happened, thinking she was talking to somebody from the coroner's office. And it turned out to be a uh, reporter in disguise. And so Daniel Dodge's mother, Matilda, and her husband offered a $1,500 reward to anyone who found her son's body. They even brought in a small submarine. Three weeks after the accident, two fishermen found him. Matilda wrote of her anguish. Everyone tried to keep the details from me hiding newspapers and evading direct questions. Francis had instructed the household staff not to speak of it. Alfred brought in two doctors to care for me. They all feared I could not handle the loss or the truth about it. I would learn that horrible truth from the radio, listening to news reports in the privacy of my bedroom as bits and pieces of the story came to light. 600 rosebuds covered Daniel's casket at Meadowbrook, near the spot where he and Loreen had just been married. Matilda locked the door to her son's upstairs bedroom and ordered that no one enter. In Canada, the coroner soon ruled Daniel's death an accident, but the rumor mongers were already off to the races. Here again is Bernie Schwartzley, the current owner of the Dodge home. Even the community, anybody that just thought that she was sort of the money grubber and she threw him over the boat and she just wanted millions. And you have to remember, this is, we were going through a depression here. Times were tough. So it only, these people are thinking, of course she's going to go after his inheritance. There's millions there, $10 million, she can live well. So they were accusing her of, you know, possibly being responsible for his death. And this was tough for her to live. She, she left this community because she couldn't deal with it. Lorene had signed a prenup, potentially giving her $250,000. But Daniel Dodge would have inherited nearly $10 million on his 25th birthday. John Van Etten said his mother wasn't initially after any Dodge money. But then her sister convinced her to go to court. After a long fight, she received $2.5 million. You know, she, she knew that people would, would immediately think, and, and you have to understand that in, in that time, you know, back in the, you know, in the 30s, um, the amount of money that Dan Dodge was worth was just astronomical. So naturally, people started talking. She was after his money, so she hatched a plan to kill him. 
But it defies the evidence, even the imagination, to think that Lorene could have orchestrated an explosion that nearly killed her. And would she have forced him from the boat in front of witnesses? No. Maybe the real question is, why would Daniel Dodge mess around with dynamite? Most believe it was either curiosity or recklessness. Lorene gave her son an unusual theory. She said just before the wedding, um, he had a mastoid operation. It's some kind of a growth on your head, and uh, and he had he did not want to have that bandage and all that during the wedding ceremony. So he had the surgery done before the wedding, and she said he was never quite right after that. She said he he was all of a sudden he would do things that he never had done before that were just like dynamite, you know. He never would have done that. Lorene spent about three weeks in the hospital, then recuperated at Meadowbrook. After taking business classes at an Ontario college, she married a Detroit physician. They soon broke up, but Lorene was happily married to John Van Etten's father for more than 50 years. They hunted, fished, and golfed together. Lorene died in California in 2003. The only time she ever talked about the Danny Dodge situation was direct to family. Put yourself in her position. You know, what a horrible position she was in. I mean, just, it, it, was, it was terrible. I mean, here's a little girl from Gorbe, you know, a, a town in Canada with, you know, yeah, high school education, uh, thrown into the midst of that. Well, I'm just, I was struck the fact that She's a strong enough lady to get through that and come out the way she did. But what about Matilda and the rest of the Dodge family? How did they get through it? My name is Judy Lavender, and I'm the daughter of Frances Dodge. She was the sister of my Uncle Dan Dodge. Judy was born after her uncle died, but growing up in a farmhouse near the Meadowbrook Mansion, she felt the impact of his loss. We were not allowed to ask questions about Danny. It was such a tragedy. My grandmother never spoke of him. My mother forbade us to speak about him. If any of us ever slipped and said something, my mother would be furious. That's how she showed her pain, by getting angry. But one day, Judy's grandmother, Matilda Dodge Wilson, allowed the silence to be broken for a few unforgettable minutes. Yes, and I have a memory of when I was very little saying, whose room is that, to my grandmother. And she told me, that's your Uncle Dan's room. And she had keys to it, and she had kept it locked for years. And she opened it and took me in. And there was the room sitting exactly as it had been when my uncle was alive. All of his things were there his toys, his photographs, his desk, his furniture, the mementos, they were all in place. She had locked it and kept everyone out. When I was brought into that room, it was a huge moment. It was very touching, even to me as a child, I remember that incident. And then she locked the door behind her and we never talked about it again.
She staked her entire young life on raising this boy to be the heir. He was the heir apparent to this family. And uh, she had his house picked out for him and his career picked out for him. And, and uh, she had this vision. And her entire vision was shattered. Must have been just horrific. Judy doesn't remember her grandmother or mother saying anything about Loreen McDonald Dodge, but she recalls innuendo, perhaps from other relatives or their employees, pointing a finger at her uncle's widow. I always felt that they felt that this was a suspicious event. They weren't, they weren't about to let it go. They believed, I feel, that Annie Lorraine Van Etten had either taken advantage of a situation or had planned a situation in which he would be killed. I never believed them. I thought they were just crazy. Late in Lorraine's life, when she was living with her husband in California, she stood outside their house and directed a lost visitor to the correct driveway. It was Judy. She wanted to meet the woman who had been shrouded in mystery and suspicion. We sat down at a card table in their living room, and uh, Mr. Van Etten, John Van Etten, came and sat next to her. I sat across, and she, Annie Lorraine brought a stack of photographs and put them on the table and began to talk. And I thought, well, this is exactly the kind of person I imagined. Wonderful, helpful, warm, polite, well-mannered person just someone I just liked immediately. Did you gain any insight about your uncle by meeting her? I believe what I came away from the meeting knowing for sure is that she had absolutely nothing to do with his death except being a participant in the terrible tragedy that was absolutely no one's fault. She adored him. I can see why he adored her. Everyone who knew Danny loved him beyond just description. He was a fun-loving, smart, interesting kid. The rest of the family, we name our kids after Danny. Lorene had dated Daniel for several years before their brief marriage, so Judy believes she was entitled to the additional money. Judy wishes her relatives had buried the hatchet and allowed Lorene to be part of the family. My grandmother missed the boat. She could have had a wonderful, smart, take charge, no nonsense, you know, a, a woman who's grew into a, a wonderful adult in her life, but for some unknown reason, no one was gonna be good enough for this boy. On that remote northern island, Bernie and Cindy Schwartzley have created a time warp. Their living room in the Dodge Lodge has 1930s furnishings, old newspaper ads for Dodge cars, and photos of happier times. Daniel holding a string of fish. Lorene sitting on a fence during the honeymoon. It's as if they're about to come home. I, I don't know why. I don't know why I hang on to, um, you know, to their history here. I don't know. But it, it just feels right. Just feels good and solid. And they're just part of here. I'm grateful that you got the ball rolling for the restoration. In 2009, John Van Etten and Judy Lavender attended a reunion at the Dodge Lodge. 
They represented the McDonald and Dodge families. Local citizens connected to the home or to the couple were there too. Bernie and Cindy Schwartzley hosted. To watch Lorene's family and Daniel's family, many who have never met, to spend time here, to be out on the front swing sitting together, just talking about their past and all, that was great. I mean, for me, it was the satisfaction of bringing all the families together that they could share their past together. It was wonderful. At Meadowbrook, visitors can see Daniel Dodge's bedroom as it was in 1938, though tour guides rarely mention the tragedy. But the story is showcased at the Old Mill Heritage Center in Kagawan. Visitors see a dress Lorene wore, one of Daniel's engines, and old newspaper stories filling the wall. They include a haunting image, a wedding photo of a young, smiling couple, days away from heartbreak. Can it get more tragic than that? You know, that, that this would have been their place of making memories. Thanks for listening to Mismatch. On our next episode, a bizarre pairing of iconic men. Richard Nixon sat down to be interviewed by Sparky Anderson. I mean, it's too absurd on one hand, and on the other hand, it's perfect. How did that happen? Mismatch is a production of Graham Media Group with WDIV Local 4 in Detroit. It's produced by Zach Rosen and written and narrated by me, Roger Weber. Terry Turpin Amato performed the voice of Matilda Dodge Wilson. Michelle Oliver portrayed Lorene McDonald Dodge. You can find us at mismatchpodcast.com. If you've been enjoying our show, please let your friends know about Mismatch and consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks.